this service from Stornoway Free Church this evening and I pray that as we worship together that you will know and that we will know together the Lord's blessing as we uh, seek his Holy Spirit to guide us in our worship. Before I begin the worship, one announcement for our own folks. This is for the parents of uh, Sunday school children and also tweenies. Uh, the pickup times for the next set of Go Teach uh, materials will be in the, in the MA Hall and they can be picked up next Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. or also Saturday 10 to 11. Friday 2 to 3 or Saturday 10 to 11. And I want to give thanks uh, at this point to all the teachers who are involved in teaching the children and the twinnies. It's been a wonderful provision over the last while, really since the lockdown firstly and then the restrictions when we cannot yet meet uh, in Sunday school as they used to. Uh, the teachers and those who've helped them have done a tremendous job with the online and uh, uh, the provision of materials by video and so on. So we're really truly grateful to you for that. And also the parents for their support of the Sunday school and the tweenies and all the other activities involving young people in the congregation. Uh, we give thanks to God for your contribution and for your willingness to go on uh, providing for us in this way. So let's begin our worship and we're singing first of all this evening from Psalm 100. Psalm 100 in the Scottish Psalter uh, to the tune Old Hundredth. It's a well-known psalm. Um, it's a psalm that, like many other other psalms, calls upon those uh, out with Israel who were given these psalms, of course, uh, to come and worship this God. And that's uh, so important for ourselves as we sing these psalms. We're conscious of the fact that they have an evangelistic emphasis as well, uh, such as here, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. A call upon all of humanity, indeed come and worship the God we know as our God. So we'll sing the psalm, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, himself with mirth his praise. Thank you. 
Let's now read from God's Word. Uh, that's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And tonight we're reading chapter 10. And we're going to look at this chapter um, in the whole of the chapter later on in the service. So that's Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 10 from the beginning. We can just read the last two verses of chapter 9 as well. Because as we'll see, the final verses of chapter 9... Uh, actually run into chapter 10. So chapter 9, verse 17. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offences to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favour, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast in the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thought, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Amen, and may God add his blessing as we once again read this portion of his word. Now let's join together in prayer. Let's call upon the Lord together. Gracious Lord and our Heavenly Father, we come to you, O Lord, and are conscious of our need that your spirit should guide us in our worship as at all other times. Forbid that we should rely, O Lord, on mere custom, the fact that we have done this previously, the fact that we know so much of your word and so much of the process of our worship already. 
Lord, we pray that your Spirit will open up your word to us this evening, that your Spirit will open our minds to receive and to think upon it and to believe, that your Spirit will give us inwardly that stilling of our heart to issue forth in love and affection for you and our commitment to you and to your ways. We pray that your Spirit, Lord, will bring to us things which will strike our conscience, so that whether it be for good or bad, we will know the truth affecting us inwardly. We bless you, gracious one, that your Spirit takes the things of Christ as Jesus himself promised and shows it to your people. We bless you that your Spirit, in the ministry of your Spirit in your people, glorifies Christ, brings him the praise and the honour, and holds him forth as that Saviour who is so adequate to save, so replete with grace, so full of mercy and so wonderful in compassion. We pray, O Lord, tonight that we will know this, renewed in our hearts, and that we will know it, O Lord, for these days to come, that these things may remain with us and be practised by us. We ask too, O Lord, tonight that uh, you would overlook our sin and your mercy, but we do come before you once again to confess our sins and to confess that our sins are far more numerous and much deeper than we ourselves can appreciate. We would say with the psalmist with David long ago, against you and you only have we done this evil in your sight. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless us tonight with your forgiveness, that as we come to confess our sin, it may not be in a mere matter of form or formality. Lord, help us that our hearts will be engaged in it, that we will be honest and serious with you as we come to use these words of confession. And, uh, O oh Lord, we pray that we will know in return your own answer through your word and spirit, that our sin has been cleansed, that we have been forgiven and washed and made clean as we require to be. We ask that you would grant us blessing, Lord, today to uh, equip us for these days ahead. And we begin this week, Lord, on your day, as we always do. We thank you for that pattern that is set for us. That we begin this week with worship and with our hearts focused upon the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that that will truly strengthen us and set us up for these days ahead. And we pray, gracious one, as we come towards the end of this year in our own experience as a people that we will once again reflect upon all that has happened and especially help us Lord to reflect upon all that you have been to us on your faithfulness that is so new to us each morning with your mercies help us we pray to reflect upon what has happened in your providence with the COVID-19 pandemic and the way in which that has caused so many difficulties throughout the world Help us, Lord, to realise that under your own sovereign rule, these things have come to pass as you purposed from all eternity. Enable us then, we pray, to cling all the more tightly to you and to your promises, to draw near to you and to seek that you would abide with us. Lord, we think of these disciples long ago uh, who came to know you as one risen from the dead and when you came to reveal yourself to them. You, uh, Lord, impressed upon them who you were, and the response was that you would remain with them. And we pray, O oh Lord, that that will be 
our own experience and our own desire in life that you would remain with us and be our companion through each and every day and through every experience we pray tonight lord for ourselves as a people as a congregation of your people we thank you for all that you have been to us over these past months for the way that your gospel remains with us and for the way lord that we are so concerned to come together in this way though we're not able to do it as much as we'd like physically yet we thank you O lord that your word is free and goes forth freely we thank you that your spirit is not confined that your truth has not changed we pray that tonight lord your word will come to us with that power that will indeed come to invade our hearts and minds and do us good we ask that you will bless us as a congregation in our testimony for you the various ways in which lord we seek to make your name known to our contemporaries we pray that you would further establish us in the righteousness and in the holiness that your word enjoins we thank you for the privilege of being a people who testify to the lord and to seek to give you the, the honor that is due to your name even in our witness publicly bless us in all our activities we pray uh, grant that as the sunday school and the tweenies and other activities go on with our children with our young people that you would bless them O lord as they hear of those wondrous things out of your word that you have done and are doing we ask that your salvation will be known to them and made precious to them that they themselves will rise up and call you blessed and lord that others will call them blessed for they have revealed jesus to them bless the parents we pray we thank you for all the parents of the younger families that we have we pray for them and ask that you'd bless them as they diligently seek to set before their children the standard of your own word O oh lord may they see that uh, this is not in vain and that their young children as they grow up come to appreciate the things of god and come to live them out in their own lives we pray too for the older ones and ask that you bless the youth fellowship those who are in the upper stages of secondary school age and we pray that you'd bless them too uh, we ask that you'd bless all who are engaged as teachers and helpers and for marianne and her work with uh, the older ones as well we pray for them all and ask O lord that you'd bless them now we do also pray O lord for others that we know in our community who help us in our times of need and we pray tonight that you bless those who work with those with addictions of various kinds we pray that you would remember work of road to recovery and all are involved in that both here locally and elsewhere and ask lord that those who receive the support that uh, they themselves require that they would be benefited from that and that uh, you would grant to them blessing especially spiritually and morally uh, so that they will go on in your strength we pray to lord for the street pastors we thank you for those who give of their time uh, to go out uh, week by week and we pray that you'd bless them uh, we pray that you would keep them safe in their times of interaction with people who go out not only in the streets but also to the castle grounds here we ask O oh lord that the contacts they have made and will continue to make will lead to much blessing in the lives of those they meet we pray that you would strengthen themselves as street pastors both here and throughout the land O oh god as they serve you in this way we pray too that you bless all who 
care for us in our time of need, uh, who attends to our uh, well-being and health and in mental health as well. Uh, bless them, we pray. Bless the hospital and the care homes and Bethesda. We commit them all to you and ask that you'd be pleased, O oh Lord, to lend them your blessing at this time. Remember those, we pray, who uh, may be facing difficulties they cannot share with others, matters which are private to themselves and yet hurt them and grieve inwardly over many things in their lives. We pray that you'd bless them and we pray that you bless those who mourn the passing of loved ones, especially as we come to this time of year when the poignancy of these events of loved ones taken from the scene of time uh, press themselves more fully upon our hearts and minds. O oh Lord, lend us, we pray, your comfort, your consolation, uh, your upbuilding and guidance and strengthening by your spirit and by your truth. Lord, we ask that you bless us now and help us as we remain attentive to your word that we will know we are led by yourself to speak and to hear of the things that God has done. Hear us and receive our thanks, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now for the children this evening, I want to just spend uh, this week and uh, next week as well, God willing, thinking about the birth of Jesus. I've been looking for some weeks at the I Am sayings of Jesus, and tonight we're looking at the birth of Jesus. If we think of uh, the likes of uh, Luke chapter 5, where you find a description there of Luke chapter 2, rather, of the, uh, the birth of Jesus, we'll find uh, especially there and also in Matthew's Gospel, uh, how Jesus uh, was born into the world. And we read there in chapter 2 of Luke that there were some shepherds out in the field at night and that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Where does the story of Christmas begin? Where does the story of Christmas really begin in the Bible or in history? It doesn't begin in the event that I've just read there from Luke chapter 2. It begins a long, long way back before that. The story of Christmas is, of course, the story of Jesus, the coming of Jesus into the world, the Son of God, coming into the world to be given the name Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. But the story of Christmas, the story of salvation, begins way back in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, God actually took Adam and Eve uh, and uh, placed them before him to speak to them about what they had done when they sinned against him and when they had committed this great evil against what the Lord had actually set before them. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that's what they did. And then death came upon themselves and upon all who came after them. And that's why we ourselves still know of death in the experience of humans. This is what God said uh, actually to the serpent. In Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
That's really the first account that God gave of a saviour who would come to be born into the world as the offspring of the woman. And in that announcement, that's really what was fulfilled when Jesus came into the world. One who was born from a woman, his mother Mary, and who had been promised all of these years from that time in Genesis 3 onwards, through the prophets, through other ways in which he was, uh, he, which he was promised to come by God. And in Luke chapter 2 we find that finally after all these years the Saviour was born. Thousands of years passed and yet God kept his promise. Now that tells us that God always keeps his promises. Every single promise you find in the Bible that's addressed to the people of God, whatever it's about, you can be absolutely sure that God will keep that promise. God will be faithful to his promise. God will not actually be short of fulfilling his promise. And that's what he did with the coming of Jesus into the world. He was fulfilling the promises, the things that he had promised about a saviour and about salvation. That's what he was actually doing. And God keeps them exactly. He just doesn't keep them generally. He keeps them in an exact way. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as time went on, Things began to be revealed about the Saviour, uh, which came to be actually seen when Jesus was born. Things about who he would be, what he would be called, what he came to do, what he would do by way of dying, and even that he would actually come to bring life from the dead to those that placed their trust and confidence in him. And that passage that I read in Luke chapter 2 refers to this as good news. The shepherds were terrified, first of all, because the glory of the Lord in the form of a really bright light would have been shone around them. And in the middle of the night, they would be terrified over that. They knew that was something very unusual, something that had come from eternity, something supernatural. And then this voice from the angel said, Don't be afraid. For I bring you good news. Now that's the word in the New Testament that is the same word for gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what it means. It's the good news about Jesus. And the good news is that God has done exactly what he said he would do. Sending a saviour into the world whose name would be Jesus. Who would save his people from their sins. And that's why it says in Luke chapter 2 that he brought them good news of great joy. Great joy. That's really what should mark our lives if we come to trust in Jesus. What we're doing is really trusting in the one that God has provided to save us from our sins. And what greater reason is there for joy than that? And today I hope that that will be the meaning of Christmas for you yourselves as children. Yes, it's great to get presents. It's great to get a happy time at Christmas time. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying those things that we have in these times of happiness. But the joy, especially that we need to know, is the joy of being saved. The joy of knowing the Saviour. The joy of knowing Jesus. 
the joy of having our sins forgiven, the joy of knowing that when we come to leave this world, we're going to go to be with this Jesus who came into the world and died and rose from the dead and is now in heaven at God's right hand. So there today is something about the birth of Jesus. It's spoken about a long, long time before it happened because that was God's promise that although we had brought death into the world through Adam and Eve, God had said, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm going to send a saviour. I'm going to send my son, whose name will be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So let's say the Lord's Prayer now together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now if we turn for a short time this evening back to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we're going to look at the whole of the chapter here for a short time. There are many sayings that we use in ordinary speech and everyday speech that actually come from the Bible. Maybe they're not exactly the way you find them in the Bible, but you can very often tell, well, that's come from the Bible. And there are two of them actually in this chapter, in the first verse and in the last verse. Because the first verse says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And you know the saying, the fly in the ointment. The last verse says, um, don't actually curse the king or in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. And if you've said something to someone and they'll say, well, who told you that? Very often you can say, a little bird told me. You don't want to say who told you, you just say, a little bird told me. That's coming from the Bible, from the last verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And when you come back to, chapter, to, to the first verse of the chapter, what you find there is a description of what sometimes happened when those who were making perfume actually found that a fly or flies, very common in those times, in those places, in hot countries, um, and of course in those times when this was written you wouldn't have had very uh, elaborate factories, you wouldn't have had sterile conditions where flies couldn't get in. Very often this would be in an open room or in something like a shed, whatever, but they would be making perfumes, mixing all these things together that made up the perfume. Flies would be attracted and sometimes in a big batch that had been made of perfume, flies would actually get caught and die and spoil the whole thing. That's what it says there, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, especially if you didn't discover it first of all. No use keeping that then. If dead flies have got into it or flies have got into it and they've died, you've got to throw it out. Even the whole batch, however long it's taken you in those days, that would be no use for leaving. It would just be effect, infected and uh, the, the stench would have gone through the whole thing. It's no use for perfume. You pour it out. And that, that's the situation that's described in a spiritual way all the way through this chapter. It follows on from 
the final verse, the final words indeed of the previous chapter, one sinner destroys much good. So the, the point really is that it only takes a very small amount of foolishness to spoil a big batch of wisdom. Well, you can do that, you can find that and apply it to an individual life, such as my own life and yours. And we'll see some of the people in the, in the Bible of whom this is true later on in our study tonight. But it's true in an individual sense. We'll also see from our study it's true in the sense of, uh, of uh, a lot of people together, or even governments. It doesn't take much, even if a government has been very good and very wise and gone about things very successfully and very well and to the advantage of many people, a little act of foolishness, a wrong decision that affects people drastically will spoil the whole thing. And that's why, again, we're coming through the chapter to really see how this is applied through the chapter, throughout the rest of the chapter, so that we'll come to the conclusion we actually need wisdom all the time. We need to be seeking wisdom from God, the ability that God alone is able to give us, how to handle our lives, how to deal with certain situations. Even then, we know, of course, we're going to make mistakes. We know that sometimes we'll be acting foolishly. But it's a warning to us just to remind us that even a little foolishness, if it affects a lot of people or affects our, our own lives drastically, it's going to spoil even much that we may have done in the use of wisdom previously. We need that wisdom we need that wisdom from God that the Bible speaks of because we don't have that wisdom ourselves. In our fallenness and our sinfulness, God provides the wisdom through Christ, through our relationship with Christ, through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And it's interesting that he says here in verse 2, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. The left and the right in the old times used to be symbols of wisdom and of foolishness. The right-hand side was associated with strength or with wisdom. The left-hand side with, uh, with foolishness. Um, it doesn't say anything. It's not, nothing to do with being right-handed or left-handed. It's simply a way of, in, uh, of, of uh, in Old Testament times, distinguishing between what is right and wrong, between what is foolish and what is wise. And what it says is, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, inclines him towards wisdom, towards what is right. Um, and the word heart there is important. It's not just uh, to do with emotions or feelings or uh, inner feelings like that. It actually has to do with the mind. It has to do with the mind and with knowledge. And that's why here in the wisdom books of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms as well, there is so much emphasis laid on knowledge knowledge of God, knowledge of, of the ways of God, knowledge in the way that leads to the fear of God, as we've seen already in Ecclesiastes. And that's really so, so relevant, as we're finding these Old Testament books, so relevant for the situation that we actually face today, because we've come to the situation um, where, as a society, especially in a Western society, although it's really throughout the world as well, sadly, but the basis of people's decisions, the basis of people's conclusions, whether it's about themselves, about gender, about all of these issues, is not what I think, but what I feel. It's what I feel that determines who I am, 
what my identity is. Now that's completely contrary to the Bible. That's taking life under the sun. That's taking God out of the equation, out of the picture. And as we'll see tonight, again, when you take God out of the reckoning, out of your calculation, if you try and look at things without God, without God's word, without the standard that God's word provides for us, you're left to our own self. And if you're left to your own self, this is the kind of thing that you come up with. Any society that displaces God with human wisdom comes to such conclusions as these. I feel this about myself, therefore this is who I am. And that's where you lead, you find um, people coming to the conclusions, um, and, and I'm saying this with care, because I'm not saying without compassion, without concern, without knowing what I'm saying, without being careful of what we say. But you know the kind of idea you find where people will say, well, I think that actually I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or a man trapped in a woman's body. You see where that begins? You don't actually uh, put that person away in a way that uh, doesn't love them, in a way that doesn't really give them the opportunity to express what they feel and express how they are. But this is where everything comes from. In that sort of situation and that sort of conclusion, I feel this about myself. Therefore, this is who I am. My identity comes from my feelings. Whereas the Bible tells you, your identity comes from the knowledge that you have, from your mind, from the mind that God has given us that needs to be renewed and is renewed in Christ. So that your identity comes as an individual, who you are is who God created you to be, but who you are spiritually is who you are in Christ. I am in Christ, therefore that is what defines me, whether I see myself as a man or a woman, male or female. That's just by the way, I wasn't going to say too much on that, but I think it's important that we realise that the Bible is so up to date in addressing the questions of our age and gives us lovingly and tactfully information, material, that we can actually set before people in trying to actually converse with them as to how we should see our human identity and who we are and what that means. So here we are with this emphasis then on wisdom and the need for wisdom. And there are three areas. It's important that we distinguish the theme or the principle of the thing and then it's much easier then to see all of the things in the chapter that aren't necessarily clear um, uh, and there are some, some verses there that uh, uh, even some of the best commentators find are struggling with. So um, there's no point in me trying to actually uh, bring out the meaning of them if they're struggling with them. But here, here's here's a principle for us when we're studying the Bible. Like we said in the first chap in the first verse of the chapter, that really establishes the theme. A small drop of folly or foolishness is enough to spoil a great batch of wisdom. First of all, it's a it's a applied to government. Wisdom is necessary for effective government. Verses 4 to 7 and also verses 16 to 19. Secondly, wisdom is necessary for everyday life, for the things we meet with in our everyday lives, in the ordinary things of life, if you like. For effective government, for everyday life, and thirdly, for edifying speech, verses 12 to 14, 
and also the final verse, uh, verse 20. So wisdom for effective government, for everyday life, and for edifying speech. Let's look at these in turn, and we won't go into them in much detail, just looking at the, the way that the, the theme is brought out uh, that stands at the beginning of the chapter. Look first of all at wisdom for effective government. There's in verse 4, you can see, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offences to rest. This looks like the kind of ruler that's autocratic, that's overbearing. Uh, it's not something that just uh, now and again he loses his control, loses temper. And it's something that... Uh, is a hostility, something that's a constant autocracy or overbearingness, hostility from the part of government, from the part of a ruler, or you could expand that into a government. What it's saying is you don't respond in the same way as the ruler acts towards you. Of course, in those days, it would be dangerous anyway to try and respond uh, by uh, giving back the same kind of anger even if the anger of the ruler is obvious against you, it could leave, it could make you exposed even to uh, losing your life. So you don't do that, but you don't give up. You don't just leave your relationship with the person that says, don't leave your place. Don't act hastily. Don't be a fool. Don't actually do things rashly. Because, he says, calmness will lay great offences to rest. Now that... Uh, brings up things you find in the book of Proverbs, for example, um, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fool pour out folly. You can find the same in the New Testament. Uh, when you come to Romans chapter 12, for example, um, you'll find the uh, Apostle Paul there dealing with uh, the possibility of vengeance, even if we're badly dealt with, where he's saying uh, don't actually act in vengeance towards anyone who mistreats you in that way. Romans chapter 12, um, you remember how he there says, um, um, from, especially from uh, verse, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't it amazing how often the Bible brings us things which are so very, very difficult for us to follow and to apply, which is why we need the wisdom and the grace of God to do it. It's very difficult to withhold retaliation. It's very difficult not to actually act vengefully towards somebody, even in your thoughts. But then you see, the Christian doesn't need to act with vengeance towards anyone because I have a God who acts for me and I can leave it to him and I can place everything in his hand and I can say, well, Lord, you know the truth, you know the reality. And rather than me stirring up something that's going to cause massive problems for your people, 
I leave it to you, Lord. Even it takes all the time in the world to the day of judgment, God will take vengeance where he needs to. And I can leave that there. I can leave it with him. And here is what um, you find the wisdom here of, of um, Ecclesiastes as well. Calmness will lay great offences to rest. Now that connects with the New Testament, as I've said in Romans 12, but also with that wonderful word that Paul uses that's translated in the ESV by self-control uh, or in the older version, the AV, by temperance. Self-control. And you go to Galatians and you see it there in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. One of the elements of that fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And if I'm not in control of self, if I just lose the plot, if I erupt frequently in anger, or even once or twice or once in anger, at that moment itself, I'm not acting as a Christian should. I'm not acting as somebody who can leave things safely with God. So here he's saying you need wisdom individually, but also in, for effective government, the anger of the ruler rises against you. And that's then um, taken further in verses 5 to 7, because it talks here about an inverted order, where rulers actually don't have the wisdom to rule properly, this is what you actually get. It says here in verse 5, There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. In other words, he's finding fault with the government, with the person in charge, a person that's not acting the way they should and have caused problems, a person who's not fit to govern, a person who has made bad appointment, or a government or a cabinet that's uh, really full of self-serving and has self-serving officials as well, as you find verses 16 there to 19, when you read through them once again, um, you can see the state of things when from the top there's corruption reaching down into the lower echelons of government, because that's all about having a good time, having lots of parties, spending lots of money, especially public money, in ways that uh, are not uh, fit really to benefit anyone but themselves. Here is uh, peace, princes feasting, and uh, not at the proper time and not for the right reason, feasting in the morning. Woe to you, O land, when your princes feast in the morning, when all is set on is having a good time and just using the resources at their disposal for their own uh, self-advancement, self-service. And then, of course, you go on to speak about neglect. Verse 18, though through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. What that is saying is here's a picture of uh, a government that's just gone to rack and ruin, don't care for anything but themselves and their own good time. They're saying, well, well, there's plenty of money. Money's the answer. Let's just have more money. Let's have more wine. Let's have more good time. Let's have more parties. Let's spend it on ourselves. And sadly, throughout the world today, that's what you still find. But you see, the problem is, or the problem stems from the fact that God has been sidelined. That's the whole point isn't it of Ecclesiastes as we said life under the sun vanity of vanity says the preacher futility vanity if God is left out of things 
then what happens is that society gets turned upside down. See what he's saying here um, in verses 5 to 7 and also uh, verses 16 and 17. When, when, you're, uh, when your king is a child, when those who aren't fit to govern are actually placed in government. Or if you see back at uh, verse 5, uh, folly is set in many high places. The rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now this is frequently mentioned in the prophets of the Old Testament, how society comes to be inverted upside down from what it should be, from the way God would have it to be. Think, for example, of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3, where you find um, in uh, verses 1 to 5, where God is saying, the Lord of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem support and supply, mighty man, soldier, judge, prophet, diviner, elder, all the people of wisdom. He's taking them away, he's removing them, the captain of 50, the captain, the man of rank. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. That's really a way of saying incompetence is going to take over. Incompetence is going to rule when wisdom is put aside. When God is put aside, when disobedience actually comes to gain the ascendancy, this is what God then brings about. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honourable. Then when you go further on in Isaiah, just to give you one more example of Isaiah 59. We looked at this passage some time ago where it says there in chapter 59 and from verse 9 all the way through to verse 15. Therefore justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. And for brightness but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. And on it goes negative all the way through. It's depressing to read it. It's uh, all the way through there to verse 14. Uh, 13 transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God speaking oppression and revolt justice is turned back righteousness stands afar off for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter truth is lacking and he who departs from evil who lives a holy life in other words makes himself a prey makes himself a target does it sound familiar? Of course it does. It's right up to date. Society becomes more and more upside down from the standard that God has set us the more we turn away from God. And that's the great dilemma that we have as a people. That's what has led to the kind of conclusions people come to, whether it's about gender or whatever. The basic problem is that God has been pushed aside. God has been put out of the public square. God is no longer relevant to our lives, either individually or collectively or publicly or governmentally. When did you last hear anyone in government coming publicly to say, you know, we need to seek God's help. We need to turn to God. We need to pray to God. We need to set a day of prayer. We don't any longer do that as a nation. We may do it as churches. We did one ourselves as a church not so long ago. But how sad is it that those in government 
with things actually coming to be so upside down through abandoning the ways of God that they cannot see it. Just like Isaiah saying, we are looking for light but darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We cannot find our way. You see, a little foolishness spoils a lot of wisdom. You might say all the wisdom that's gone in the past from our Christian heritage and all the things that have been provided from that Christian heritage that we still have in our land and are, and are grateful for and are thankful for, education, health, various other things that we know today are valuable to us in our communities. Where have they all come from? Well, they've all come ultimately from God, but they've come from the application of God's truth and the principle of God's truth to ourselves as a people, as a society. And that's what's being pushed aside. The Bible is no longer relevant. The Bible is no longer fit for purpose. What do you find instead? We find an upside-down society. You see, we need wisdom for effective government. Because Ecclesiastes is telling us even a little bit of foolishness spoils much wisdom, let alone a great dollop of foolishness. What is that going to do but corrupt and lead us astray further? So pray. Pray for our government. We're doing that anyway. Pray that they will be given wisdom. Pray that God will turn them to see himself to see the relevance of his word and of his law, relevance of the gospel, the importance of Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God, the gospel as God's provision for a people, not just for individuals in our land. Wisdom for effective government. Um, we could say more on that, but I want to move on to, secondly, wisdom for everyday life, not just on the part of those who rule, um, but also for each and all of us together as individuals. And from verses 8 to 11, you find a series of um, very short references, very short pictures, if you like, that really are used to convey this to us. So we'll go through them very briefly, and then we'll come to the summary point again, where this little drop of foolishness spoils much wisdom. Let's see what they say. He who digs a pit will fall into it. What it's really saying there is, in those days when you, when you dug a pit for an animal to trap an animal that you could then use for food it's important that you remember where you actually dug it it's usually covered over with a net and then with leaves and so on but maybe one of those days you go out and in your foolishness you say um, you don't say anything about where where the, the the trap was put and you just stumble into it yourself a little lapse a little foolishness and it spoils the whole thing and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. If you were in those days, the walls made of stone and you wanted to either repair them and take them down and then repair them or else shift one to somewhere else. You'd have to be very careful because in amongst all these um, spaces between the stones, little serpents, little poisonous serpents could be lurking. And if you didn't take care, if you just went at it without thinking, without using wisdom, you could actually get bitten and even poisoned by the serpent. Stones and logs. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. You know the danger when you're, when you're splitting logs. Sometimes they can jump up and hit you on the head, hit you in the face, or you can hurt your hand. Or if you're, in those days, you might be um, splitting or quarrying stones. Very often that will be up on, 
on a hillside perhaps uh, and if you're not careful as you're quarrying the stones one of them could roll down the hillside and there's somebody there just enjoying a nice walk and that stone hits them and kills them it's a little foolishness a little lack of thought a little carelessness and it's gone it spoils the whole wisdom the whole batch of wisdom if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed or wisdom uh, is an advantage for success could be translated well that's a picture of somebody using an axe again or a knife and doesn't actually sharpen the edge of it and just goes on using it and it gets more and more blunt and the more blunt it gets the more effort you've got to put into cutting the thing you're cutting with it and so you're using more energy instead of having the wisdom just to say to you look let me just pause for a minute like go and sharpen this axe and go and sharpen this knife and that makes things a whole lot better instead you just batter on you don't take the time and you can apply that to life in all sorts of ways looking back over my own life i can say that before i finally came to yield my heart and my mind to jesus this is what i was trying to do i was trying to do it with my own efforts trying to better my own life trying to actually improve things knowing that god was speaking to me through his word and showing me my sins and showing me that i needed what i didn't have i first of all tried to go about it by manufacturing it by creating myself well i'll cut this out of my life i won't do this anymore i won't use uh, this kind of language anymore or i'll stop doing this and then within a day or so or less i'll be back doing the same things just cutting away you see with the same knife i wasn't actually stopping just to sharpen the edge to do those to do it the way god would have me to do it is that how it is with yourself tonight are you battering away at your own self at your uh, standing at your need for righteousness at your need for acceptance with god are you just battering away in your own style in your own way and you know it's just leading to more effort and it's not getting you any further well, here is what God is saying. Give up on that. Sharpen the edge of your axe. Go to Jesus. Give it over to him. And instead of exerting all that effort into trying to make yourself righteous, accept his righteousness instead of that. Receive him. And he will give you everything that God requires of you. See? The serpent then goes on, he goes on, the serpent bites, if a serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Well, in those days they knew about how a snake can be charmed through music. You've seen video of that, I'm sure, um, where somebody playing on a, on a, whatever it is, like a chanter or whatever, and the, the snake rising up out of the basket and being charmed. Well, what this is saying is, if the man tries to catch the snake before it's completely charmed, it's going to bite him. He's going to be poisoned. That's impatience that does that. He just didn't wait to see the thing through. He didn't have the wisdom applied at that moment to doing what he knew he ought to have done. You see, all of those, whether you think of uh, the pit or the serpent or the stones or the logs or the blunt axe or the snake charming, it all amounts to try to illustrate for us this. A little folly, a moment's indiscretion, a little bit of lack of thought or a carelessness over something 
can undo so much wisdom. Because, friends, we are living in a dangerous world. And I don't mean a world dangerous in a physical sense, though there is some of that. Dangerous especially in a fallen world. Dangerous in a moral sense. Dangerous in the sense that there are so many pitfalls there for you and I that we need to actually have God's wisdom in order to know how to deal with or how to avoid. There are many moral snares and that's one of the things that is true for all of us, whatever stage of life we're at. It's not just young folks who fall into the trap of immorality or adultery or whatever else it is that's set before us as a moral snare. This world is full of dangers for the Christian, for every one of us, whatever our standing is. And here is Ecclesiastes giving us this, this wonderful nugget of truth tonight. Use wisdom. Use what God offers you through the gospel. Use what God gives through his Holy Spirit. Wait upon God. Ask God for more wisdom. Ask him at the beginning of every day, Lord, take me through this day without causing for myself or for others some disaster, something that will bring uh, your cause into disrepute, something that will blacken my own name or the name of somebody else, a whole lot of different ways in which this can be applied. We need wisdom for everyday life, a little folly, a tiny little drop of foolishness, and it can undo a whole batch of wisdom in our lives. Think of, um, I mentioned earlier, those in the Bible that you find mentioned. Noah, for example. The last thing you find in the Bible about Noah is a pretty disgraceful episode. Here was a man, a man of God, uh, a man of uh, integrity, a man who had withstood all the mockery round about him, building this ark years before the flood came. Yet at the end of his life, he planted a vineyard, he got drunk, and there was a really seedy element, as you find described in Genesis. Gideon. Gideon, in many ways, a spiritual hero in the book of Judges. He was raised up in order to bring relief to the people of uh, Israel at the time from the threat of the Midianites, from, the, uh, from being held in thrall to their enemies. And Gideon was used as a leader to lead them against that, to deliver them from that. And yet at the end of his life... People wanted to make him a king, he refused that, but he then made an ephod, uh, which became a snare to himself and to his family, um, set it up as an idol. There's the end of that person's, that good man's life, and yet that little drop of foolishness has undone so much of what has happened before. You can say the same in David. The episode with Bathsheba, and others in the Bible too. And so we need to be careful that we seek wisdom every day to keep us, not just to guide us, not just to equip us and empower us, but to keep us, to enable us to know what not to do, what not to say, as well as what to do and what to say. And that brings us to the final point. Uh, and this has taken a bit longer than I anticipated, but the third point is we need wisdom as well as for effective government and everyday life. We need it for edifying speech, verses 12 to 14. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favour. That's probably better translated, um, the words of a wise man's mouth 
are gracious. And the Bible has so much, hasn't it, uh, to say about purity and quality of speech. Because the Bible recognizes, God knows, and has given us through his word, how important it is for us to think about what we say, how we say it, what not to say, and how not to say things. Purity and quality of speech. If they're all the Bible, without really looking at the, the passages, let me just say the Bible uh, has pictures of destructive words. When we use words destructively, the Bible compares that to weapons of war, or to fire, or to poison. Because that's the effect it has morally and spiritually if our speech is not edifying. You remember uh, the Apostle Paul's words to the Colossians, uh, to the Ephesians, uh, to, to the Colossians, sorry, uh, in verse chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that leads on to the final point in the, in, the, in, the, in the chapter, which again has to do with edifying speech. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. In other words, he's telling us, very often what you actually start working on in your mind comes out in your words. And if it's not edifying speech, if it's going to be destructive speech, very often it's going to make its way towards a target. So it's really saying to us, don't even do it in your mind. Try and keep up with wholesome, positive thoughts, even towards those who you may feel tempted to react to or to take vengeance upon. Ephesians 5 tells us, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that applies to our speech as much as to anything else, because very often it's really our speech that either does good to people or, or actually works destructively towards other people. In the Second World War, there was a very famous campaign uh, which went under the title Careless Talk Costs Lives. And there were some wonderful posters, eight posters, I think, altogether, uh, by a man called Cyril Kenneth Bird, who went by the name of Fugas. Um, and he was the artist who drew these wonderful uh, uh, posters. And they were all with this particular emphasis, careless talk costs lives. If you Google that, you'll find pictures of some of these posters. And there's always um, in them either a couple of people having a conversation and underneath there'll be a little, a little, a little statement saying, well, it's all right if I tell you. And then as you look at the background, there is a, an image of a window uh, with Hitler and Goebbels just leaning over the window listening. See, careless talk costs lives. That was so important during the Second World War. So important that nothing was said that would act in such a way as people would lose their lives over it. And that is so true in the spiritual and moral realm as well. 
in the spiritual warfare that you and I are engaged with, friends, remember, careless talk costs lives. That's why it says in this chapter that the words of a fool consume him. The end of his talk is evil madness. The beginning of his words is foolishness. A fool multiplies words. You know, the most difficult, one of the most difficult things, especially for those of us who preach, is to stop talking. And it's difficult, even in conversation, to stop yourself interrupting someone else. And one of the things I really find frustrating in listening to interviews carried out nowadays by people, whether it's on radio or television, is an interviewer who cannot keep his mouth closed until the question he has asked has been answered. That's rude. It's not proper interviewing technique. But it's a feature of life, one of the things that demonstrates how difficult it is for us not to talk at times when that really should be what we be doing. Careless talk costs lives and it takes wisdom and it takes an increasing amount of wisdom from God to enable us to attend to our speech, to other aspects of everyday life and all the way through to the upper echelons of government. And we pray that God will bless once again our thoughts on his word. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, we give thanks for the direction that your word gives to us for all of these areas of life, even from the top of society and government through to ourselves as we seek to live as citizens. We thank you for the wisdom that you promised to give and that you give in response to those who come to you. Because we know your word sets before us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives abundantly and who does not threaten in response. We pray for wisdom and we ask, Lord, in our day that you would give your people that wisdom that would enable them to conduct themselves wisely in what they do and what they say and what they refrain from doing and refrain from saying. Give us, we pray, that wisdom so that we may all the more glorify your great name. Receive us now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're concluding our worship tonight by singing, uh, this time from Psalm 141 in the, in the Sing Psalms version, Psalm 141. And uh, it's on page 185, verses 1 to 4. We'll sing to the tune Selma. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly, I am in need. And when I cry to you for help, to my appeal give heed. Verses 1 to 4, these first four stanzas of Psalm 141. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to my need, and when I cry to you for help, to my appeal give heed, I can sense me.
and mercy and peace from God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen. Once again thank you for joining us this evening and I trust that you will know and have known the Lord's blessing as we've looked at his word and worshipped him together. May God keep you uh, safe and well uh, during these very critical times. Thank you.